Hey everybody, this is Keith Hancock alongside with my longtime industry pal, Christine DeVita. And welcome to another episode of Behind the Counter. It is great to be back with our fellow listeners. Christine, how are you doing today? Good, Keith. How are you? I'm excited that we have Richard Sear back. Richard Sear, the Cutlet King, and now better known for being our Chaos Coordinator. Rich is going to talk to us about his time management, never-ending challenge, and also how he juggles being a stepdad, a home chef, and uh, a doggy dad. So, Rich, welcome back. How you doing? Great to have you back, Rich. Great to be back. It's great to be had. With regards to time management, right? Are you keeping a calendar? Are you? Do you have a? You know? Do you have anything to help you? Because you got You have a busy schedule between. Elijah, the dogs, the Christian uh, group, us. I mean, you have a full portfolio. You have about five or six clients, and they're, they're heavy-duty clients. They are. The good news is we're going to be adding another one very shortly. You guys will be happy about that. Outstanding. Listen, you know, Manitol was fantastic. I don't know if anybody will know what an ATS is, but it's basically a CRM for recruiting, and that has been a lifesaver because we're able to combine I have three, three different calendars that, that I use, including the Google Suite calendar for us and having, having your schedules access to that to schedule seconds and do stuff like that is, it's been truly a lifesaver. And we had, we had, we had a discussion about, you know, being more on top of that because I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants a little bit, even though everything is highly organized and I got the stuff in where it needs to be. You know, still there are some days when the alarm goes off and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I forgot about the uh, 16 interviews that I have with the uh, podcast in between and then the other thing going on. And <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, because now what we didn't think through, you know, the dogs are on their own schedule. I, t- I try and get that done before everybody else is awake. And then a lot of times Frank will come take and take Sheba for her second walk or sometimes the first. And Elijah's up by that time. We get him off to school. And as long as the weather's good, he walks up to the bus. So that's good. And I, you know, I jump in. I try and log on at seven, you know, take a look, you know, get into the emails, see if anything has been loaded in, go through our, our different search engines and see what's come up. And then check all three calendars, actually now four because I added yours on there. You know, just really go from there. In between, you know, we try and pound it a little bit, networking and 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 looking for clients. And in the meantime, we're pulling out candidates and uh, doing interviews and getting people sent out and and getting them placed. But yeah, then you know the outside world invades. You know, I have my men's group on Tuesday. We have another fellowship on Tuesday nights. The boys' baseball schedule. I mean, we did not think the whole puppy thing through. And when I say that, I mean, they're a lot of work with the two of them and then him with his school and then his homework and stuff is always a challenge because they had a rough year last year. And he's, um, he's a little, you know, what's a nice way of saying that he's a pain in the ass with his homework and stuff. And, uh, (laughs) well, they're just not used to it. They're not, you know, they think that no workload because the virtual learning and all that, COVID hasn't just hit our business and, and, and really knocked us for a loop. It's really hurt the kids and they've become extremely lazy. 
hell, our candidates are lazy. We've had people, I've had people who are ready to place in a 135,000 a year job turn around and say, yeah, you know what? Mm, I'm, I'm going to stay home and just going to collect the unemployment. You know, thank God they don't have that option now. You do the work, you get them in front of somebody, they like them. It's a great paying job with fantastic benefits. And it's a great, with COVID hours in most places though, it's, it's kind of a cush cush job because our industry, there's something very, very wrong with us. If you want to work, whether it's restaurant, food service, any kind of, any, any phase of hospitality, we're a very, very different breed. We live our lives completely different than other people. It's a, we are a different breed when it comes to this industry. You have a very special individual in order to be able to navigate the day by day, um, you know, work with the whole time management piece because you're on the go and you've got to make snap decisions, you know, in the restaurant world. An agenda, but no, it's going to change at any moment. You have to be nimble because it's going to change at a moment's notice and it's constantly something new. Contingency plan. Yes. Yeah. You're calling audibles all day long. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. How, many, how many times have you run into, uh, you know, the orders are coming in? Oh, 80, you know, they want to 86 this. No, we're not going to 86 that. We're going to make it not, right now. We're going to prep that now. So you got fresh food made fresh right now. Here you go. It's, oh, something's always going on. Always. But that's part of the fun of it. And that's what we're leading into, man. The lifestyle of the restaurant manager. That's what makes us different. That's it. We are different. We are different breeds. Unfortunately, we're not seeing a lot of us coming up in the ranks in the younger group of our generation this year, as I'm sure we're, we're feeling it in the recruiting world, feel it in operations, feel it day by day. It's a tough business. Yeah, it is. We're number one for divorce, depression, addiction, but you got to be crazy and you have to love it. And that's the whole thing is, I, what you know what I think where we've gone away from a little bit is when we were coming up, and I'm sure you both remember, we used to try to talk people out of the job. Yeah. People that wanted to be managers, we used to try to talk them out of it. And now I hear that narrative changes a lot to wanting to talk people into it, which is not going to work. No, no, it's it's not because it's it's a lifestyle. It's such a drastic lifestyle change for people. But it it, it is, man. It's it. Listen, it's a disease. It is. It's a disease. (laughs) It really is. You catch catch it. Once you get it, it's in your system. It's like the herp. You never lose it. Yeah. And that it's as negative as that sounds. And as much as you guys ripped on me before this for saying my statistic thing was negative. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it's negative, it's so true because even on the divorce aspect of it, right? Yeah. So I would say about 90% of the people who are in this industry are divorced or will be getting divorced. Because here's here's the issue. You're working anywhere between 12 and 13 hour shifts, five to six days a week. Who are you without without commute? Without yeah, add that on top. Right. Add the commute on top of it, right? Which we'll say about a half an hour to an hour on either end. Okay. So who are you with the most during those five or six days a week? You're with the people that are in those four walls. Right. Okay. So even though you're married and you have children, right? Where are you going? What are you doing? And that's where the divorce rate comes in. Everybody that I know in the restaurant industry, everybody is divorced. Including divorced. three of us. Including three of us. I, I, went a, I went a different route. Well, you are married. 
I didn't get married. I waited until I was out of 45 years of operations to find the right woman and to, and to do that now. And you did. And she's beautiful, smart, amazing. She's just all around, probably the, the perfect woman. But what I'm saying is, I'm sorry. (laughs) I said, I'm remarried. You're remarried. Yes. I was the only one. And Keith got an amazing wife. She's so sweet, so sweet, smart, just an amazing woman. I decided not to get married again, and I'm fine with that. You know, one time was good enough, my six-month stint of marriage. But uh, And I'm not necessarily saying that when you're in the industry and you're getting divorced, it's because you've cheated. That's not it, right? Well, in some cases it is. But a lot of the cases is because you're not home. You're not home with your family. And it's such a hard industry to navigate while you have a family and you're married because, unfortunately, as the phrase goes, you're married to this business when you jump in. So you have to learn to navigate both relationships, your relationship with the business and the relationship with your spouse. And that's where it becomes tricky because you're working six days a week. You're working 12, 13 hours a day. You're missing everything, you know, as a husband or a wife, you know, and it's difficult, you know, and that's, and I think that tonight's topic of time management, I think that, you know, pretty much speaks to the divorce rate and how to navigate your day in the industry to make it work on both ends. And also for you personally, because rich man, you work a lot. I mean, even though working from home is difficult as it is and nine times out of 10 recruiters do work from home, but given the pandemic and not being in operations anymore, it's a whole new thing that you need to navigate a whole new lifestyle. It's uh, we, yeah. I mean, we had this conversation and, we needed to have the conversation because I was, I was a little frustrated. I got to tell you, Frankie and I both work from home and between the two dogs going nuts all day and they're a distraction. And, you know, like I, Frankie and I needed to have the, the discussion, like, listen, when I'm hitting it, I can't be distracted. I can't keep going outside with the dogs. I can't do this and that. You can't keep talking to me about, you know, what's frustrating you with your day. We can talk after, but I need to get my work done. Because I, I need to manage myself so I get everything done between the hours of eight and two. So I can take, you know, an hour to do whatever, to eat, you know, do whatever I need to do. Talk to her about her day, see what I can do to help with this and that. The kids coming home, get that. And then I usually jump back on and then I'll go, like like you said, you know, my, with my fellowship group or you know, something with something with uh, with True Life Church, and then I'm usually back on the computer till nine, ten o'clock at night. She's already up, and you know, I mean, she's so damn understanding. Thank God, and the fact that we are home together because we do work from home. Otherwise, yeah, we, we'd be we'd be we'd be divorced. It it, it wouldn't last. But there there is yeah. always you know the other woman. Mm-hmm. The other woman is there. And the other woman, she has four walls and has a bunch of small wares and a bunch of little idiots running around in there that we have to try and sometimes coddle these days and then just mentor and grow and teach and, and hope that they, it's not unlike having children. You try and give them your knowledge and, and, and what you know and nurture them and put them on the right path and you hope to hell they do the right thing when you're not in the building. I used to work with a chef that always said the restaurant business is a lifestyle or being a chef is a lifestyle, but really the restaurant business is, is a lifestyle. And to the newer generation of leadership coming up, 
in what we do. I think that we find um, that they don't understand that, you know, even the ones that, that make it the decision to want to come into this and do this forever. I always like, even when I dated my, um, my first wife wasn't understood restaurant. She was in the restaurant business, but obviously that didn't matter. It was always shocking to see my current wife and like just things in the restaurant business. Cause when we started dating 10 years ago, I was working like the raw hours. You know what I mean? To get out at two thirty in the morning in Times Square, maybe hit up the bar at an after hours place at three in the morning, <laughs> like that sort of thing, which which we've all done. And it was just like it just shocked her. Like it's like it's she's not someone that would want to do this for a living, on in any way, shape, or form. It's just not her, and that's fine. Maybe she's probably smarter than us. Who knows? But. Like people coming up, they want like that nine to five gig and want to become restaurant managers. Well, that's what I love when I, when I interview candidates to do a second interview, the question I get is, what are the hours? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? What are the hours? It's a, it's anywhere. And I'll never say less than 10 hours. I'm like, it's a 10 to 13 hour shift. They go, Easily. oh, it's not nine. Oh, I need Sunday. Usually that that's, that's, oh. that's standard. I mean, I've well, that. I just to- say it's Sunday to Sunday, midnight to midnight. So when they go, I need Sunday off, I was like, why? They go, I go to church. And I can respect that, right? I'm Catholic. I get it. You got to go to church on Sundays. But church ends. It's not an all-day episode. So go home, shower, change, and get ready, and go to work, and work the midshift, 12 to 10. There you go. There's your workaround. And they use church as an excuse to have Sunday off. But Sundays, having Sundays off is so overrated. I used to want to have Sundays off all the time. And then I'm just like, nah, I'm over it. Yeah, we're definitely on the opposite side of that, friends. I love Sundays off, but Monday, Tuesday. I'm good. I like split. I like split days off. Split days off, 100%. I never got restaurant managers that liked the two-day off in a row thing. I would always be off like a Tuesday or a Thursday, never on a Wednesday because that was always admin day, right? Yeah. So I would be off like a Tuesday and a Thursday, and I was happy with that because it broke up the week, and I wasn't working five days across the board. I was happy, and uh, that was it. You know, I'll work them if I have to, but I've, I haven't had to work Sundays probably in 15 years. My my schedule was usually Monday off because we did inventories and everything on Tuesday, and I would take Thursdays also. But Mondays was a carryover from the Italian restaurants because that was the only day we closed. Yeah. We well, Pret was Monday. kind of like a uh, Pret. You were kind of spoiled until I opened up my big mouth, but I'm happy that I kind of did because the reason why Pret's open on the weekend is because. I opened my area on the weekend, but I used to have Saturday and Sunday off at Fred. And I was like, all right. So we used to go out all day. So we would go out all, all night, Thursday night after stock take, right? Keith, remember Friday, we used to go out Saturday and Sunday. We would have the hangovers of a lifetime and totally recoup. And, uh, then I had this bright idea to increase sales in my area. Oh, I'm going to open up on Saturday and Sunday and be the only Pret that does it. Well, Anybody who works for Pret out there and is hearing this, I am the one that started the Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> and I completely <laughs> apologize. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to open up Saturday and Sunday, all my shops. <laughs> so my managers wanted to kill me and uh, never had a Saturday and Sunday off since. Yeah, but I'll tell you, man, the, you know, the, the, the good old days for me were, you know, you went in, we, we worked and, and we worked. We worked hard. We played hard, you know. Yeah, so we didn't definitely. we didn't we didn't close till four AM back in my day. 
Oh, those are Friday days. Friday's days. Yeah, for me. it wasn't. It wasn't a two a.m. close. It was a four a.m. close. And yeah. then we hit. Then we hit after hours. Then we would go to the beach and fall asleep. Wake up, shake out the tuxedos, <laughs> <laughs> jump in the incredibly insanely cold showers at Jones Beach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Towel off, throw throw your tux back on, and back in a restaurant you weren't. I mean, we used to we used to get off at Massapequa Fridays. We used to get off two, three o'clock in the morning, hop in this guy Mike's car, and used to drive to AC. There you and go. we used to oh, party yeah. all night at AC and be back for our closing shift the next day. Zero sleep, hungover, and we did it, man. And we would always do it on a Thursday or Friday night and come back for a Saturday night shift when you're super busy on a wait for like three hours. Those were the best, though, the, the leave work, do the AC trip, and then come back and go to work. Oh, yeah. I need, like, three days to recover from that now, though. Oh, now I can't, I can't even stay up. Like, we're at 1030 right now recording. As soon as we're done, probably be done around midnight. I'm in bed. <laughs> There's no way. I'm done. I'm done. Do you guys remember a restaurant in the city? It's an Italian restaurant. It's actually right across the street and a couple blocks up from Sparks called Nani Valetto's. Yes. Sometimes they call the Papa Nannies. Yep. Papa Nannies, yep. Yep. Yeah, what a what a what a sick bastard he was, man! <laughs> this guy, Sambuca, Sambuca Romano, this guy would drink an entire bottle. Of, you know, like every day he would have a bottle of that. Crazy. Well, I had a bad experience with Keith with Sambuca. I'm not going to go did. into it, but yeah, I did. Remember, remember, some I fell into a bush. Yep. We're going to leave it as that. <laughs> you sent the video. You sent me the video. I Did was I laughing really? for days. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was years ago. That had to be what? 10, 15 years ago, right? Yeah. Right, Keith? Yeah. Yeah, fell into a bush. Almost. I, yeah. You, well, we couldn't see your face in the video. She sent you a video back then. <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah, on my Blackberry. Pretty, but I'll tell you what. That's the thing that they, people don't get. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you tell someone that's not in the, that's not in our industry, just a normal person that, oh yeah, after work I got drunk till two a.m. and passed out in a bush. They look at you like you're cross-eyed sometimes. We, you we need close. that kind of crazy to do. You this. do need that. Yeah, but that, that's, 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 that's how you unwind from this industry. Listen, they call it crazy now. We called it being passionate about the industry. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we were passionate. I just want to be passionate from a laptop. Dude, I left Trace Scalini one morning. It was it. Was, we're probably we're, we're on the we're on the step, you know. With a what? What are we gonna do? How you know? Like and and Romano turns around and he goes, "You know, I never had a Philly cheesesteak." He said it just like that. He goes, "I look at him, look at the other guys." Dino turns around to me. He goes, "Let's do a road trip." We drove to Philly to get to get cheesesteaks. Wow. We got one from Patty's and we got one from Gino's across the street. <laughs> Dude, that's dedication on the cheesesteak, man. That is oh, man. dedication. That and is we dedication. Got, and we got back just in time to set up for dinner. Uh, yeah, I wonder if the industry is still like that. I mean, because we're kind of disconnected from that lifestyle now. Yeah. We're adults. You know, we're executives. Speak you know. for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> But I wonder, I wonder if the industry is like that anymore. I mean, I'm sure it is because we don't really hear too much about it. But there, there, are, there, there are people, there are still people like us out there, but it's a dying breed. Nobody, nobody wants to work as hard as we worked. 
listen, it's a whole different other work ethic from when we were younger, 10, 15, 20 years ago versus now. I mean, I could tell you stories as an hourly employee versus hourly employees now that if I was late to work, I had a pit in my stomach and I was afraid I was going to lose my job if I was 30 seconds late to work, right? Even as, even as a manager or a DO or VP or an ops manager, I was like, I did my best to get into work on time. Granted, I live in Long Island. I had to take that hour and 15 minute commute to Manhattan. And that's another thing, you know, yep. it's the commute time. I don't, I never, I never minded taking the train into, into the city for an hour and 15 minutes. Cause for me, that was, I organized my day on the hour and 15 minute commute in on my way back. I, I was unwinding. I had a yeah. beer. I had a slice from Rose's pizza, you know, at Penn station and I decompressed. I took a nap. I watched my Netflix on my Hulu and I was good. Now it's like the work ethic. I feel from what I see out there, from what I hear is complete opposite. It's crazy. Wait, you found the work ethic. I can't. Yeah. Rich, <laughs> the lack thereof. <laughs> It's insane. It really is. Listen, we worked hard. We played hard. Okay. And, you know, like some of these kids today, and I call them kids. Everybody's a kid to me. They can be 40. They're a kid to me. Thank you. They're Thank great. You. You're very welcome. 41 next month. All right. So let's, let's go. Let's go one generation back. Let's, let's I'm go. Let's, 47, let's, Rich. You're an X. You're not a Z. All right. The Z's and the Y's and the millennials. Whole I mean, different other breed of person out there. Whole different other breed. I was just having a conversation with someone the other day. I was born in 80. Millennials are 81. I just want to make sure that, that we got that wall built there. Okay. Yep. Very important to me. But, but yeah, but you're, so listen, you guys are throwbacks. Yeah. Honestly, basically. you know, you, you, you have, you have baby boomer kind of work ethic. Cause that's how we were brought up. Right. I was brought up, my grandparents brought me up. My parents, uh, my dad worked three jobs. My mother was always working, you know, not for nothing. But when I was, (laughs) I was serving and I was, uh, well, I wasn't just serving. I was, I was a demi chef. I cooked table side on on Gary Dawn. So, you know, I I worked in a three-star Michelin restaurant. Rich is plugging himself. I was just going to say. I I, I brought home cash, more money than both of my parents combined. You know, they, they busted their ass. My grandparents raised me. So I have, I have their work ethic. Yeah. You don't get that old school type. There are a few and you know what? These kids are great coming out of the gate, but they got no stamina. Yeah. They could not, they could not go through the day that they could not do a 16 hour day Mm -hmm. party for four or five more hours straight. Get an hour, maybe two hours of sleep. Can't handle it. Brush right. off and go right like nothing happened. Go bang, hit right back into the day without missing a stride. Can't There's no it. way they could do it. My grandfather always used to say, listen, all you got to do in life is just work hard and drop dead. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Dude, I had my first job. I think I was 13 years old. I was delivering newspapers for Newsday, right? And I was doing it on a bike. And then my father would take me on Sundays because the Sunday news day was like super thick. That thing was heavy. We had a Toyota hatchback brown (laughs) to put me in the hatchback and drive around the neighborhood. And I used to like run up to the door and put the, uh, put the paper on the front stoop. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I had like this little blue book of like the addresses that I did. And then I would collect the payments 
And then oh after my that, God. yeah, that's old school. And I the had little a, blue book, a little blue book. No, but wait, then I had a licorice jar where I would put all my money and my tips for the week that my mother kept in the, on the kitchen counter in the corner. I still remember it to this day. So were and you then, like that kid on, in that movie, better off dead? My $2, my $2 man. <laughs> That's pretty much <laughs> how it was back then. It was like a dollar 52 bucks. Yeah. Now, yep. You know, Sunday Newsday now, I think is like five, six bucks. It is really back then. It was like 75 cents a dollar. I'm not even yes. kidding. So showing and my it weighed age. like five pounds. Yeah. Most yeah, Sunday papers, if you still dude, buy a paper is like four or five bucks. Now. Yeah. Not only did you have to deliver it, you had to put the freaking thing together. So on Friday and Saturday, you would go to like this depot to pick up like your, your stash of papers. And then I would be sprawled out in my mother's living room floor, putting the Sunday news days together, all the different sections. And then the next day delivering them. And then from there, because I was such a, a great newspaper person, I guess, I got a job one day a week. And I was working at the deli down the block, Seaford Deli on Merrick Road. Oh, and I, know I, was, deli. I was the newspaper girl. And <laughs> I got paid in two ways. I got paid cash for the day, right? And I got to make my own bacon, egg, and cheese on the flat top grill. Nice. And that was it. So I put Daily News, Newsday, and The Post together. And I so was that was it. Hours. So that was it. That's when you caught the disease. That's yep. it. Yep. That was the moment. That yep. was the moment. And then after that, I worked at this. Ch- I was 16, 15, 16. I worked at this Chinese restaurant, Chin's Kitchen in Massapequa on Merrick Road. And I was I was the wonton girl. all i did did was bag wontons and staple them when staples were legal in the eyes of the health department (laughs) oh man that's awesome that's awesome my (laughs) uncle put me to work at 10 years old and i fought it until i was 12 when i was 12 at 10 from 10 to 12 i used to go in the kitchen I went in and went in with him to the restaurant at 5 a.m., making the sauces, chopping up stuff for the salad stations, all that. We used to give away, I used to carve out out of the big Parmesan wheel, you know, chunks of Parmesan and uh, made the fresh fried zucchini and stuff. It was crazy what he gave away, but that place did fantastic. And then when I was 12, I got my little tuxedo. And they put me. Oh, you graduated. They put me out on the floor, and I only bust tables for about three months. And because I was working the kitchen, and then I would go to school, and then come back, do my homework in the bar, and then and then going back into the kitchen. And I was already learning saute. My uncle made me a demi chef, and oh, I started nice. cooking. I started cooking at table side. So you and got the bug early, also. I did. I did. And once I started cooking table side, that's when I really caught it. And that's when I knew like what, what I was going to be doing. I knew it right then and there. I loved like that was real cooking. And I mean, till I was 16, he pulled me in and I taught everybody else outside. And then I went into the kitchen and at 16, I worked the 16 burner saute range. On a Friday and Saturday night when 85% of that menu was saute. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Keith, when did you get the bug? I got the bug at Morris County College. Well, I already had the bug working in a restaurant and food. But I was going to school for finance and I was walking down the hallway and um, I saw 
that hospitality management program advertising, so I just switched my major. Nice. Something. Nice. That was it. That was there it. You, go. you got sucked in. I was already sucked. I was sucked in, but I had, you know, parents, more father, like, why would you want to do that when I was already considering it? So then I just went and did it. Yeah, I think I got the I think I got the bug when I was like super young when I found out that my grandfather, my mom's father, owned a pizzeria. So the man worked for New York Tell and bought a pizzeria called Cross River Pizza in Westchester. And it was only open from like four o'clock on. And he would go to work, come home, work the pizzeria. My grandmother was there in the daytime doing all the prep work. My mother and my uncle John were in there working. And he did that for many years. And it was like this little dippy pizzeria, right? It wasn't what we're used to now. I think it was inside of a gas station. But, and my grandfather never knew how to make pizza. He just bought the place, wanted to do it, figured it out and made it happen. And that was his dream to open up a, a pizzeria. I mean, God bless him. Very successful, my grandfather. But I think it's in my blood. I would say it started through my, so when I was a kid, my, um, in Patterson, New Jersey, there was this place called the Italian Circle. It was Italian social club and Italian restaurant. And at one point, it had enough Italian members to support the restaurant. And I used to go hang out in the back, and he'd be playing gin rummy. It was like this card room and this like movie projector thing. And I would go hang out in the kitchen and just watch the guys. And they were like prepping everything. Did they have the Joker poker machines? Rich, do you remember the Joker? Oh, oh my God, yes. <laughs> and they had Kino. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. The Joker poker machines at the coffee oh, shop. Kino. Dude, there's very few and far, you know, there's very few coffee shops left in this world. Well, we didn't we didn't call them the coffee shops back then. We, it was the soccer club. Oh, and and then and then the and then usually had the soccer club usually had either a bar or a restaurant attached to it. For me, that was the Portofino restaurant, and that's that's where we had all, like all the wise guys would go. And the joke so. was the joke was liquor in the front, poker in the back. Oh yeah, <laughs> I got a shirt that says "This is Dick's Casino" somewhere. Yeah, no, the, the, like Friday night, the Friday night, the poker game after work was at Portofino. And then on Saturday, it wasn't cards. We we, we played craps at the Marbona. Sunday was a, just a free-for-all. It was, you know, wherever, wherever we could go. We, we, con- we constantly would degenerate gamblers, drink everything. Like half the bar was gone by the time we finished. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Those days don't exist anymore. They don't exist anymore. Now we're taking care of puppies, raising kids. I could tell you, my, my uncle got so pissed off one night because somebody drank his bottle of Avuana, which is the uh, artichoke liqueur. Yeah. And that was like the only thing that he that he really drank. He liked it. It, it was disgusting. It was bitter and nasty, but I actually uh, acquired a taste for it. Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> he, he just he didn't care. We we broke we broke into a into a bottle of Louis Couture's, you know what what were we selling that for eighty five dollars a shot back then, and and he and he could care less. He didn't care about all all the top shelf liquors, but somebody tapped his bottle of Avena. He went ballistic, ballistic. This guy it was this guy Dino. Dino was this he was this little guy with the worst broken English, and halitosis like you would not believe he would go in the bathroom and take he would take paper towels wet it with a little bit of he, he had uh peppermint oil 
peppermint oh, oil. Peppermint oil. And he would rub the paper towel on his teeth. Like that's how he brushed his teeth. Oh, jeez. And that's how and that's how we got through a shift with him because yeah. Jesus, it was bad. Unbelievable. Guy was a great salesman, man. Let me tell you. Now I hear you. He would go up to the table <laughs> with his accent, and he would be like, "Close the menus," <laughs> and he would give him the specials. But there were certain tables of a couple of people that he really didn't like. And I and I can say this now because they're all dead. This is so many years ago. And he would go to the table. He'd be like, good evening, fucks. And he would get away with it. He had such a heavy, heavy accent. But the guy was good. He was a consummate professional. I was blessed by, you know, 18, 19, being a maitre d' with these men, professional yeah. waiters, 40, yeah. 50, 60 years old. It's not like that anymore. I mean, times have totally changed. I mean, you know, nothing is ever the same as when we were younger. And just like that for our, you know, our parents, nothing was ever the same for when they were younger. It's just a whole different generation. But this generation is just something special right now. You know, you have that sense of entitlement. You have the mental health days, which is why we got you a pillow. I I love that pillow. Yeah. Well, you do add value. But I mean, even even with COVID, just with the way that companies are presenting themselves and they're putting themselves out there. I mean, I read, I think I sent it to you uh, you and Keith, that because of the, you know, this vaccine mandate on um, in New York City, you know, unlocking the key to New York City, you have these restaurants jumping on this bandwagon to get to get vaccinated. And now there's these mobile vaccine clinics in front of these locations. And you're talking about over 20 locations in Queens, Brooklyn, and New York that these restaurants are participating in. And how crazy is that? It's just so absolutely ridiculous because, you know, you go back to your body, your choice. And when it comes to stuff like this, I'll say it again, because I said it in a podcast, a couple of podcasts ago, you know, corporations need to stay in their lanes and not participate in anything like this. You know, I'm very bothered by it. If you're smart, you're going to separate yourself from that. You know, there, there is, listen, you know what? You can edit this out if you want, but September 10th, 2020, there were 38,061 new COVID cases. Vaccinated Americans, zero. One year later, September 10th, 2021, New COVID cases, 176,427, 17 million vaccinated Americans. The numbers speak for themselves. Exactly. People like, you know, oh, you know, people aren't ready for this and that and the truth. I'm like, you know what? Don't worry about who's going to be offended if you speak the truth. I'm more concerned about who is going to be misled, deceived possibly have their life destroyed if you don't speak the truth. Yeah. And yeah. I think there's a lack of that. There is. You know, and I think the media is just hammering the fear into everybody about this Delta variant. You know, like, listen, I'm vaccinated. You're not. Keith's vaccinated. Everybody has their own opinion and their own choice to what they do to themselves. Right. And I support all of that. Right. Whatever side you're on with regards to the vax, I support you 110%. Right, because it's something called free will. Right. So my problem is this, is that masks and social distancing were okay in 2020. Okay. 
granted, we've lifted every single mandate that there has been with, you know, or regulations, let me say, that the government or, you know, the city put out there. You're not vaccinated. That's fine. You don't want to get vaccinated. That's fine. Wear a mask and social distance. The numbers speak for themselves. The problem is, is that the politicians and the media are driving fear into everybody. And because they're driving fear into everybody, now that translates into hospitals being overloaded. And you want to know how I know? Because I spoke to someone who works in a hospital. And I said, what's going on? Because I'm hearing one thing and I want to know what the actual truth is of it. And you know what they said to me? I'm not going to mention the name and I'm not even going to say what hospital they work at. They go, Chris, about 75% of the people come in, have COVID, have no symptoms. But because they're so scared about what's going on and what the media is saying and how they're listening to the media, they're afraid they're going to drop dead from this virus. Okay. They're good enough to go home because they're not that sick and they're not going to get, uh, you know, any more sick than they are. But what happens is, is that they're now they're filling up the, the hospitals. And that's where I have the problem, because you're instilling fear into the population in the United States, which doesn't need to be, because this is all politically driven. And now it's, 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 it's dripping off into the restaurant industry, obviously, in an industry that needs to just get themselves back on track and let's just cut it out, because now it's affecting the whole recruiting efforts. So from our clients who were like, okay, we're only going to require one vaccine because that's what the governor or the mayor had said. Now it's like mandatory vaccination. Okay, fine. So now that's, that is completely depleting the talent pool at this point. I mean, we had a couple of instances. I lost at least 70% of our candidates for clients because of that. I believe that when we get, when New York City gets the new mayor, they're going to use that shutdown. He'll use that shutdown to gain popularity and start to reopen everything. Oh, of course, without a doubt. And I don't think this cat, Kathy Holchill is going to last. She's just, she's just filling a hole right now. And her agenda. Yeah. Of course. No. Yeah. No. And that was all political. That was politically driven with her agenda as well. You know what bothers me, Chris? More than that, I agree Rich, with I everything think. that you said. But let's think about it. What, what are we? Yeah, all right, nineteen months. Let's nineteen, say 19 months, months into this 19. pandemic, roughly. Probably a little bit. Oh, somewhere around there. Okay, let's call it nineteen, twenty months. Right. I have yet to hear any public official talk about the benefits of eating real food, maintaining a healthy body weight, getting exercise, taking supplements like vitamin C and D, cutting out alcohol, cigarettes, all that. And we're supposed to believe that this is all about our health. But not one public official has mentioned anything about healthy lifestyle. And, And the and the businesses piss me off because here we are incentivizing, you know, I'm sick of seeing these sign-on bonuses and all this other crap. You know what? You want to reward somebody? How about the people that stuck it out and have been plotting through and working? Exactly. Why not reward the people that exactly. have been your main source of even keeping your doors open through this whole thing? 
And you then know, you're the hiring people at higher wages and incentivizing this? Getting these restaurants opening I, I and know, supporting man. them? I, I, I have Andrew Riggi, I think his name is, he's the executive director at New York City Hospitality Alliance. Now, this is one organization that I think should fully back these restaurants in the tri-state area. Yes. He's promoting the Restaurant Day of Action on Thursday, which is tomorrow, from 12 to 8. They have a $100 voucher and bonus referrals for people to get their vaccine. What is the $100 for? It's a $100 voucher and bonus referral. Oh, to go eat at the, one of these places? I believe so, yeah. His post says, attention, restaurant workers, customers, and everyone. Thursday, September 16th is a restaurant day of action in New York City. Mobile vaccine clinics will be at restaurants in many neighborhoods throughout the city and hopefully more to come. Get vaxxed, exclamation point. Save lives, exclamation point. Support restaurants. Andrew, I'm here to tell you, that's not supporting restaurants, my friend. As the executive director of the New York City Hospitality Alliance, you are doing the complete opposite of supporting restaurants. You're hurting them. So rethink your strategy, my friend, and get back on board with what's most important to this city, and that's backing these restaurants. Because I will tell you this, aside from your little signage of restaurants that are hopping on board with you, 99.9% of the restaurants in the tri-state area do not support the vaccine, period. That's it. I, I, welcome, I welcome you to contact me, and we'll have you on the podcast to talk about it. Um, but uh, your thought process is completely backwards as far as I'm concerned. No, he is definitely in the minority of that, 100%. And I was looking he at is. the he's, list of restaurants. He's part of the left, and this is all left-driven, and that's why it's very politicized. Guarantee you... If I did some research on him, he is a left-leaning individual. Guarantee it. Yeah, I wouldn't even, you know, listen, it's it's not even about parties. It's just every the whole thing being politicized, you know, and they can all both sides of the of the of the, of the aisle can, can say, "Oh no, 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 we're not, we're not." It's bipartisan. Listen. There is and it's an amazing quote actually by CS Lewis. And it speaks of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. And that's what we're living through right now. Think about King Cuomo and Kaiser and Kaiser Wilhelm, his real name, de Blasio. This is what they're doing. This is for our own good. They're destroying not just, you know, our children, our businesses, our entire way of life has been taken away. And if you allow these small liberties to be taken away, you know, you put a dog on a long chain and you take a link, one link, a single link away every day until the dog can't move because the chain is so short, but he doesn't notice. He doesn't fight back. He doesn't try and bite you because he doesn't notice that you've only taken one link away each day until it's too late and he can't move. I'll tell you what, you better invite me to one of your breakfasts soon so I can take a couple links away too. 
That's I, awesome. I, I wanna, so with that, guys. I wanted to bring up one more thing, Keith, before we end it, right? So on LinkedIn again, um, Michael Astoria, the owner and CEO of Ann Pizza. Love the guy. Have a lot of respect for him. He's done a lot of great things for the industry. But when it comes to vaccine mandates, I do not. Uh, this is where him and I, you know, completely disagree. He wrote this long post on LinkedIn. I'm not going to bother reading it. You guys could go ahead on LinkedIn and look him up, Michael Astoria uh, and Pizza. Um, and he was talking about the vaccine, how it's important, how it helps restaurants. Okay. Um, obviously, my thinking is completely opposite. But somebody brought up a really good point. Um, this guy is the co-founder and partner at Red Wave Media Group. And yes, we could all mention this on the podcast because it's out there and it's open on social media. So it's not like I'm doing anything wrong, right? He asked Michael a question. He goes, Michael, do you remember when Obamacare was passed and we found out later who was exempt? Yes, it was the very people mandating Obamacare. Can I guess who was exempt from mandated vaccine? You guessed it, Congress. Why am I mandated to do something that the very people mandating the law have an exemption on? Do they have access to different science than we do? Have you considered natural immunity for people who have had it before and the fact that this is not a vaccine, but it's actually therapeutic, meaning it does not stop the spread? If it did, people who have the shot would not continue to get COVID. Lastly, if I, ha if I have any severe side effects from the vaccine, can I sue Pfizer? The answer is no. So his question to Michael is, whose side are you really on? Hashtag follow the science. And again, I have a lot of respect for Michael. It's no shade towards him, but there's just, you know, some things you're going to have a healthy disagreement with. And this is where I disagree with him. But again, he's done a lot of good for the industry. He's got a great brand behind him. So I'm sure he's not listening. But if you are, Michael, you're awesome. But I disagree with you on this vaccine. Rethink your stance. You know how we're brutally honest with each other? Yeah. And sometimes we say things that, you know, we, we, we can hurt each other's feelings and, and whatnot. You know, it, there, there's an old saying that goes, true friends say good things behind your back and bad things to your face. You know, everybody got angry about, you know, this guy who was, uh, you know, hurting people's feelings and making these bad tweets and stuff. And I did not always agree with a lot of a lot of things and i'm not going to make it political but i would much rather you know be told the truth i would much rather know exactly what's going on and where we stand and know that somebody actually cares about us because i i fail to see how anybody can feel you know with the way things are going um that our government actually gives a rat's you know what about any and all of us. I'll say the government doesn't give a, give a rat's ass about any of us. It's all about money and big pharma, period, end of story, and that's it. That's it. It is what it is. The orange man will prevail. They own them. That's it. But with that said, this is a very interesting uh, episode of Behind the Counter, Keith. What do you think? We went from puppies <laughs> to, uh, to vaccine mandates <laughs> in a blink of an eye. <laughs> Very diverse podcast we have. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, Keith, you want to bring it home? Yeah, it was a pleasure. 
having every rich having you back on we really enjoyed having your company with us today well thank you i appreciate that well i'm sure you'll be back again and with that to our all our listeners out there we appreciate you very much really glad to have you we have some really good guest plans coming up again it's not going to just be me and christine all the time but we're working on a guest list and we have one lined up um and with that please make sure to remember to like us on everything yeah, and if there is any restaurant who wants their business advertised on Behind the Counter, drop us a line. We'll be more than happy to give you guys a plug. Tonight's episode of Behind the Counter is sponsored by Salted, a creative company. The Salted team understands that website and app development can be especially complex. Design, information, and technology need to be flawlessly integrated to provide a great user experience. Our team will use their experience and expertise in design, usability, programming, SEO, social media, and marketing to confidently help you achieve your goals. Come visit Salted at saltedcreativedesigns.com. Thanks again, guys, for listening. Join us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review, and we'd love to connect with you guys. So leave us some comments and some feedback. Until next time, have a good night. Good night, guys. Good night.